Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Two things that uh, God would never say. You'll never hear God say these two things. You're never going to hear God say, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. Could you imagine God? Well, no. You win some, you lose some, can't win them all. <laughs> You'll never hear God say that either. You'll never hear God say, can't win them all. <laughs> Why? Because God wins them all. He really does. You're never going to hear God say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. <laughs> You're never going to hear God talk like that. See, that's not in his thinking. That's not in his vocabulary, is it? No, because God is a champion. He wins, doesn't he? You know, uh, it says in Exodus 15, 3, it says that the Lord is a man of war. He will fight for you. You've got somebody who is a man of war who will fight for you. And he did fight for you because we were trapped in sin's power, in Satan's power. We We were slaves to sin and he rescued us. Amen. So what a great bunch of songs, guys. I don't know exactly who picked that, but boy, that was just perfect. That was just perfect. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Share in suffering as a good soldier. See, I'd like to see some of this. I, I see it coming back a little bit as, as we're singing these songs. There, there used to be a real militant attitude in the church. You know, back in the day when, when, when uh, we, we used to have, you know, gospel crusades and, and the Salvation Army, you know, and those, those words are kind of out of vogue today, you know. They're not so politically correct. But, you know, God hasn't changed He's a warrior, and he's got an enemy. And as soon as we realize that there are two kingdoms, and they are in opposition to each other, and they are fighting for us, when we realize that, we'll understand a lot more what's going on on this planet. Amen? He says, suffer, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. We're told also to uh, take up the whole armor of God and engage in this spiritual warfare. Remember that from Ephesians? All throughout scriptures, God is referred to as the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of heaven's armies. He identifies himself to to us as a warrior, the God of armies. I mean, he's got this angelic entourage of warriors that accompany him, that he's in charge of that fight for him. Amen? Amen. You know, since uh, a lot of our theology uh, comes from the 16th century, uh, a lot of the preaching that we've heard over the years has had a lot to do with um, that Jesus died on the cross for my place. You know, he took the punishment for me, and this is absolutely true, okay? He died on the cross in my place. It's called um, substitution. He died my death. But there's something else that Jesus did on the cross. 
And if you read through the Bible, this is what they preached more than anything else. It was that at the cross, Jesus defeated Satan. At the cross, he punched the devil's lights out and rescued you. It's summed up in Hebrews chapter four, or Hebrews chapter two, rather. Listen to this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, this is Jesus, likewise partook of the same. This just means that since we, the children, have bodies, physical human bodies, Jesus himself also took on a physical human body. That's what it means. That through his death, he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subjected to a lifelong slavery. So not only did he take the sin that was mine, not only did he bear my sicknesses away from me, through his death, he defeated the power of death. If you're born again, if you're in Jesus Christ, you do not have to fear death. Because I died with him. My life that I live belongs to him. And I have great confidence that when I step out of this body and I step into that next world, I'll be with him. Amen. That's good stuff, isn't it? Those are good songs, weren't they? <laughs> Jesus is a warrior. 1 John 3, 8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. It says in Luke 4, 18 that he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. He came to set the captives free. Luke 19, 10, it says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What is that? That's search and rescue. Seek and save. That's search and rescue. He's a warrior and he leaves no one behind. He came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus is a warrior and we're his soldiers. A soldier does not get involved, Timothy says, or Paul said to Timothy, with civilian pursuits. Soldier doesn't get involved in politics. Soldier is only here to serve the one who enlisted him. That's our job. A soldier just needs to know this. What is the objective? What's the objective? And I don't stop until we meet it. <laughs> That's what a soldier does. You know, Jesus said something really interesting. He said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. The gates of hell. Has anybody ever been attacked by a gate? Maybe with a spring, <laughs> you know, something like that. But I've been attacked by lots of screen doors, man. Those things are, those things are mean. It's <laughs> you up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, gates don't normally attack. That tells me that the church is supposed to advance so far into the power of darkness, into the kingdom of darkness, that when we come up against the very gates of hell, that hell will be defenseless. Why? Because Jesus defeated the power of hell. And we're supposed to be here to plunder hell, to take the souls that Jesus died for and bring them into the kingdom of heaven. And when we're on our mission, the gates of hell cannot stop your mission. Oh, they will oppose you. Don't get me wrong. There will be opposition. But the gates of hell cannot stop our mission. Amen? They will not stop our mission. Amen? When you're born again, you are rescued from Satan's power. Yes. That's an act of war. Jesus rescued you. He came like a warrior and rescued you from Satan's power. When you get free of sin, that's an act of war. Because sin had us enslaved and locked up and in bondage, and he rescued us. When you get healed in your body, that's an act of war. 
That's an act of war because Jesus hung on the cross and he came as a warrior to rescue us from sin and sickness. It's an act of war. When you set another person free or get them healed, that's also an act of war. And don't think your opponent's going to just take it laying down either. <laughs> don't think the devil's just going to lay down and let you have it. <laughs> he opposes us. He does. There are two kingdoms, like I said. Now, Jesus came and he defeated the power of darkness. But we are an occupying force. Okay? He left us here to hold the door open so that more souls can get saved because he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to just end all of this and root out all wickedness, recreate, get, bring a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Yes. That's what's coming. We know that's what's coming. But until that time, he's left us here to hold the door open so as many as will can escape and come into the kingdom now. That's why anytime somebody comes out of this world and comes into the kingdom, any man is in Christ, there is a new creation. The new creation has begun in Jesus Christ and it continues for anybody who comes into the kingdom of God. But eventually we will see the full expression of the new creation with the new heavens and the new earth when all the wickedness is rooted out. The problem is if you're hanging on to that stuff, where are you going to be? It does, it does not end well for everybody, unfortunately. But that is where we're headed. Amen? Yeah. So, with this kingdom mindset, we need to love militantly. What would it look like to love militantly? We need to worship militantly. You know what I mean? God is good. Good. And you know that song, I just shared this. There's a song, and I never liked it because the person who recorded it sounded wimpy. <laughs> I, I'm just honest. He was saying, um, what was that song, Rinkim? Do you remember the one? I just it's coming to me. Uh, it's our breath in our lungs. And he's singing like, so we pour out our praise. And, and it's just like, I'm like, this is, it sounds like wimpy. And I just never cared for the song because he's like, oh, it's your bread. And I just, I just didn't, I mean, whatever, you can like it. We sang it, but, but, you know, I just didn't care for it. One day I heard a church on the internet singing this. And I mean, these men were singing and they were like, all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will say, great are you, Lord. I mean, they were, and I was like, I was I saw, I saw uh, Ezekiel's army, man, rising up and taking flesh and, and going out and fighting for the Lord, man. I, was, I like that song now. We need to be militant in our worship. Amen? We need militancy in the church. We need to be militant. We need to militantly serve one another. We need to do it with intention and focus. We need to do it on purpose. We need this attitude back in our church. You know, Jesus doesn't lose. We don't need to lose one another. If you see a brother or sister who's struggling, we're here for you. Yes. Amen. I'm not here for you alone. We're here for you. We're here for one another. Amen. We need this restored to our church. Amen. We need to resist the devil militantly because he's playing for keeps. That's what I'm going to preach about today. You know, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Okay, he's trying to take heads. We need to resist him aggressively, like a soldier. 
And we need to give militantly. We need to give of our resources. We need to give of our time. We need to give our knowledge. We should not go through this life and then, you know, we should, we should try to die empty. You know what I'm saying? Anything that we have that is uh, available to bless somebody else, we should be spending it constantly. We should live open-handed so we can die empty. That's how you lay up treasures in heaven. Amen. Should I take up an offering now? <laughs> I forgot the offering. Oh, well, we're going to have to do that. In... <laughs> no, I didn't forget it. We just had to jump into this. This is good. Is this good? It's good. We need this, don't we? We need this. We need to be like David running after Goliath. You know, he ran to the battle. He took his little rock and his sling and he ran after the giant. We don't need to be like David up on the roof watching what's her name take a bath. When his men are out at battle, that's not the David we need to be. We need to be the David running after the giant. Yeah, you come against me. You've insulted not me. You've insulted God. <laughs> and, 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 and he delivered me from the paw of the lion. He delivered me from the paw of the bear. He's going to deliver me from you. And he put himself right there in that position where he could have been killed. And in the natural, he would have been killed. But we need to be militant need to be like David, run to the battle. Amen? It's been a few years ago now. Everybody remembers, though, at least my age and older, um, remembers 9-11. You know, after 9-11, they had a commission on the terrorist attacks for the United States and Condoleezza Rice. Many of you maybe, if, like I said, if you're my age, you probably remember this. And she spoke there and she said, the terrorist threat to our nation did not emerge on September 11th, 2001. This is my history lesson for the day, okay? She said, long before that day, radical freedom-hating terrorists declared war on America and on the civilized world. And then she went through and she, she, she outlined about two decades of terrorist attacks that had already been happening. There was an attack of uh, the Marine barracks in Lebanon in 83. There was the hijacking of that ship in 85. There was a bombing of the World Trade Center in 93. Um, American installations in Saudi Arabia were attacked in 95 and 96. There was the embassy bombing in, in Africa in 98. And then there was the attack on the USS Cole in the year 2000. Okay. So she says these and other atrocities were a part of a sustained systematic campaign to spread devastation and chaos and to murder innocent Americans. The next thing she said was this, the terrorists were at war with us but we were not yet at war with them. I got to ask you, what's it going to take for us as a church to realize that the devil is at war with us? We have to live lives understanding that we have an enemy who wants to kill us. He wants to destroy. And we live sometimes like we don't. We lived in America for two decades as if there was no terrorism just because it was happening over there. It took an attack on our soil to get us to wake up and realize that there was this group out there who wanted to kill us. Well, I'm, the devil wants to kill and steal and destroy. This is what he comes to do. How long are we going to put up with the attacks of the devil? I hope after today, <laughs> this is it. Let's draw the line in the sand. Amen? Let's decide to oppose him. First Peter 5, 8, if you'll go there with me. Peter gives us this warning. Now, I just got to tell you, Carolyn, there's a similar verse in James, but I on purpose did not choose that book in James because I said we're done with James. So 
<laughs> so we, we use the verse in 1 Peter. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. To be sober means obviously not to be dissipated with, with, with drunkenness, but it also means to be calm and collect in your spirit. To be watchful is to be temperate, it says, dispassionate and circumspect. Temperate, dispassionate, and circumspect? It means this. It means that you're aware of your surroundings and you're not dictated by your passions or emotions. What does that sound like? Who lives like that? Soldiers live like that. You have to be always aware of your surroundings, aware of what's going on. And you just can't fly off the handle just because you feel emotionally whatever. You keep your emotions in check and you're aware of what's going on. You're sober-minded. He's describing a soldier here. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. To devour means to just swallow up completely, to destroy. Okay, Satan is looking for someone to destroy. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your enemy, your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, roaring lion seeking someone to revour. Next verse, verse nine, resist him. Say that with me. Say, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are experienced by your brothers throughout the world. He says, resist him. To resist means to set yourself against him. To resist means to oppose him. It means to withstand him. So are we resisting him? Or do sometimes we just live like he doesn't exist and we just try to handle things on our own? We have an enemy. What's the suffering he's talking about here? He says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood through the world. Where's the suffering here? What's the affliction that, that everybody's experiencing throughout the world? What you're suffering is these attacks of the devil that you are resisting so that you don't get destroyed. That's what it is. It's not the destroying of the devil. It's the resisting his attacks. That's the suffering. The devil's going to attack and we're going to resist and we're going to win because what's those words that God doesn't know? God doesn't say win or lose. Doesn't matter how you play the game. I just want you to see you resist well <laughs> and then get devoured. I don't think so. <laughs> well, you know, you gave it a good effort. No, no. Do you remember when Jesus um, was up on the mountain and, you know, it was Mount of Transfiguration, but the man brought his son who had the, uh, the, the demonic spirit and the, the disciples could not cast it out. They were trying. They were trying, but they couldn't get the job done. And Jesus comes down and he rebuked them because he expected them to get it done. He expected that they could do it. He said, you wicked and perverted generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Bring him to me. And he got it done because he doesn't think like that. He didn't come down there and say, well, boys, you, you know, you gave it a good effort. Good try. I mean, at least, you know, at least you tried. Pat on the back, you know. Remember Peter jumps out of the boat? He's, he's walking on the water. Nobody else except Jesus ever walked on water that I know of. Noah, none of the, all the others were in the boat and he's walking on water. 
and then beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. And he rescues him. Thank God he rescued him. But then what's he say to him? Where's your faith? It's like, what do you mean, Jesus, where's my faith? I walked on water. <laughs> where's your faith? Man, that would, that would hurt the snowflake generation right there. <laughs> where's your faith? I can't handle that. I need a safe spot. <laughs> I, I walked on, I got out of the boat. Nobody else did. And Jesus says, where's your faith? He expected, he expected that he could have done it. He could, have, he could have just walked with Jesus all the way back to the shore. Because Jesus doesn't think like we think when it comes to winning and losing, does he? Jesus doesn't know lose. God doesn't know. There's no second place with him. As we go in and we win. <laughs> it's just his attitude. He's a champion. He's my champion. He's my warrior. Undefeated. What does that mean? Undefeated. Okay, if you've never fought, are you undefeated? No, you have to engage in conflict to be undefeated. And he came and he engaged the powers of hell, the powers of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and he stands undefeated, uncontested, the champion, my champion. Boom. Yeah, I like that. Boom. I need to incorporate that word. Boom. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can hear everything in this building. <laughs> So where was I? Resist. Resist. We, what happens if we don't resist him? What happens if we don't resist? Is much, much. Thanks for the lunch. We have a responsibility to resist him. You know, um, there, we have an expectation in our circles, in the church, and, and I, I pray that this is right, but there's a lot of prophecies about a great end-time revival that's going to happen before Jesus returns, okay? I mean, people who I really respect, like um, uh, Smith Wigglesworth has talked about this, Lester Sumrall, these men have predicted this. There's been a lot of talk about it, you know? I hope that's true. I, I can see in scriptures how it can happen, and I, I, I do expect it, okay? But what I know for certain from reading the scriptures, is that before Jesus comes, there will be a great end time falling away. There will be a great falling away. Jesus warned about it. Paul warned about it. There will be a falling away at the end time. We need to resist him. We need to guard ourselves against him. Amen? It's the same thing as in, is in Ephesians 6. Go there with me. Ephesians 6 and verse 13, it says, Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That word there, withstand, that's the word resist. Withstand is resisting him, to stand against him, to stand. We need to set ourselves against the evil in our day. God would have us to stand here and set ourselves against the evil in our day. See, we're not going to escape all this stuff that's coming just because we live in America. I think what's been going on in America right now kind of is an eye-opener for all of us, that we're not safe just because we're in America. But if you want scripture on it, I found America and prophecy in the Bible. You ready for me to tell you where? Because I know if anybody follows prophetic, say, where is America in the Bible? I'll tell you where America is in the Bible. Are you ready? You ready? It says, all nations will hate you because of me. All nations includes America. I hate to say that. All nations will hate you 
because of me. So we're not going to escape this stuff just because we're in America. We need to be ready for what's going on. We need to have an answer to the evil. Like I said, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. We are not here to hide from the evil. We're here to stand against it and to rescue people from it. We have a mission in our church. We need to be militant. Amen? You know, so here's the thing. Luke 10, 19 says what? Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I like that verse. But when I look around, I got to ask the question, why are so many people being hurt by the power of the enemy? I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. To me, this is an allusion to Psalm 91.13. Do you have that Psalm 91.13? When he says, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. I also, in my, my opinion, just from reading the scriptures, I think this is what, the, what Jesus is talking about in Mark 16 when he says, you'll pick up serpents. I've given you the authority over these things. When you come into contact with this evil, it won't hurt you. But why are so many people hurt by the devil? Why are so many lives being destroyed? Could it be because we've actually made peace with what God is still at war with? Have we come up with a ceasefire against the enemy? When God says, go engage and attack the evil? See, God is still against sin. Our modern day message, it magnifies the grace and the goodness of God. And that's good because, I mean, I don't, I don't believe God is mad at us. <laughs> he fought for us to rescue us. He's not mad at you. But he's still against sin because sin hurts us. Sin destroys us. Sin keeps us bound. You know, our modern day message just talks about his goodness and about how he wants us to be blessed and have the best of everything. I believe in a good God who wants me to have my needs met and have what I need in this life. I know that that's true. I know he cares about the little details of my life. Man, I see his hand at work. Uh, I didn't get to, I was going to announce it with the offering, but I'll announce it later for those of you who maybe haven't heard. My wife and I, the door has finally opened up for us to go to India. And I mean, just to see how everything has come together so quickly in a matter of a couple weeks, but boy, we're going to be on that airplane Wednesday. And, and it, just, it just came together so quickly. I mean, we, we got tickets. We, we saved money, so we planned on it. But, I mean, the tickets that we're looking at now are like $7,000 each. They've gone up. But we bought them when they were like a third of that or quarter of that or something. I don't know. Can't, something like that. It's just God just opened it up. We got the visas, the, everything. And, and he just opened it because he cares about little details of our life. You know, if you're a businessman, sure, he cares about you doing well in your job. And, and blessing your business. He cares about these things that we go to him in prayer about. You know, he cares about, you know, you finding the right house to live or the right school for your kids to go to. He cares about these things. So don't, don't take me the wrong way. He wants to meet our needs. But if we're ever going to walk fully in that good life, we cannot make peace with the things of the world that he is opposed to. We can't make peace with the kingdom of darkness. We've got to realize that it's his enemy and it is also our enemy. Right. Okay? Look at 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8 says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 
sinning from the beginning. It's like a rhyme. <laughs> sinning from the beginning. Anyway, I like how the, this translation reads it because it says, whoever uh, makes a practice of sinning. You know, I, I preached last time I preached from James and it says we all stumble in many ways. We miss it. Nobody's perfect. We do sin from time to time, but we don't make a lifestyle out of it. It is not how we're wired. We don't make a habit of it. You know, the person who doesn't know God, look at the things the world is pushing into right now, okay? That is a, clearly against the standards that God has set, clearly against. They, 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 they rejoice in it, and they think you're crazy for not joining them, okay? That's not, that's not us. We don't, we don't make a practice of sinning. We don't live a lifestyle of sin. The power that sin had over us is broken, and we're now free to serve God. But you know, the ungodly person, they're out there, they are practicing sinning. They're trying to create new ways of doing evil. They're trying to create new ways to disobey God. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, but the devil, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to set us free from sin. We need not to make peace with the things that he's come to rescue us from. Yes. Ephesians 4.27, very short verse, listen to it. It says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. The King James Version says it like this. It says, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. You know, I know Thanksgiving's coming, and for those of you who eat at home and all your family get around, you know, you're going to set your table, and you're going to set it for your kids, and, you know, if they're married, their husbands, and there's a place for, you know, my son and my daughter and all that. Are you going to set a place for the devil? Oh. And here's a place for the devil. <laughs> well, why? Well, because he always comes. Let's just make him comfortable. <laughs> it's kind of a silly thought, isn't it? <laughs> but we've done that. We've made a place for the devil in how we live our lives. It's kind of like that stray cat, you know, the cat that shows up at your house. And it's, it's a stray cat. It's not your cat, but you feel bad for it, so you feed it, right? You put a little food in Then you feed it some more. How many times do you have to feed that before it's no longer a stray cat? That thing is your cat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that thing has just moved in and made itself at home. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of us, we've actually let the devil use the spare room, man. Just, you know, here's the key. Come in, make yourself, make yourself at home whenever you want to come in. It doesn't work well when we're supposed to be resisting. It says in the New Revised Standard Version, do not make room for the devil. The thought that we would intentionally make room for the devil, obviously we're not doing this on purpose. <laughs> but he says, do not make room for the devil. Don't give him that spare room in your house, all right? <laughs> Leave him outside. Keep the door locked. <laughs> the NIV says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him anything to grab onto. Don't even give him a little nub where he could grab on, you know? Do you remember um, when Jesus was, Jesus was talking about uh, his death? He was going to go to the cross and do all that he had to do. And Peter took him aside and rebuked him. And he says, no, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus turned his back on Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because he recognized that that thinking was not from God. That was from the devil. 
devil was using Peter at that moment to put something in his mind. And he says, no, you're not going to have that foothold in my mind. I'm going to go through the cross. I know what my destiny is. Do not put this in my mind. I will not give you a nub to hang on to. I will not give you a finger hold. Get behind me, Satan. He dealt with it so severely. So much he turned around, all the disciples heard it. Heard him calling Peter the devil. Because he had to deal with it that severely. Don't give the devil an inch. Don't give him anything to grab onto. So Jesus got to the point where he's ready to go to the cross. And he says, the prince of this world is coming, but don't worry. He's got no peace of me. He's got nothing in me. How would you like to be able to say that? The devil's coming, but I'm not, you know, I don't have to worry because he's got nothing in me. He's got nothing in my thinking, nothing in my mind, nothing in my heart, nothing in my actions that he can grab a hold of. He's got nothing in me. John 14, 30, he says to the disciples, I won't talk to you much longer for the ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me. There's nothing in me that he can grab a hold of. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? Devil's coming, he's got nothing in me. The contemporary English version says this, don't give the devil a chance. Don't give him a chance. The international children's version, I'm really liking this one. I like these kids' versions. They say things so clearly sometimes. He says, don't give the devil a way to defeat you. Don't give the devil a way to defeat you. Man, so many times we're like, oh man, the devil's just beating me up. Why? Because I gave him the way to defeat me. It was within my power. I didn't have to. I could have resisted. Don't give the devil a way to defeat you. So what can we draw from this statement overall? Give no opportunity to the devil. Ephesians 4.27, give no opportunity to the devil. Number one, understand that there is a devil. Okay? There's a warning. There is a devil. Ephesians 6.12 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, there are spiritual forces, though they, ought, they, they will work through flesh and blood, just like that devil was working through Peter. <clears throat> they are not flesh and blood themselves. And they are to be resisted. They are to be opposed. See, the devil is God's enemy, right? I read 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You don't come and destroy the works of somebody who's not your enemy. <laughs> the d- d- enemy, the devil is the enemy of God. Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Satan is the oppressor. God is the liberator. We need to make that so clear. We need to understand that so clearly. He's lawless. The devil is lawless. He comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. You take that verse. Remember what Jesus said in John 10.10? The thief comes but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. I've come that you may have life and that in abundance. You can just draw a line right there. Okay? Understand. Kill, steal, and destroy equals devil's side. Life equals God's side. 
We need that kind of clarity or we won't know what to resist. Because when we think that, you know, well, is this from God? Is this somehow God's secret will that I do whatever? What, what, what do I resist or do I submit? <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 we need the clarity that the scripture gives us. God has an enemy. It's Satan. We are to resist him. Amen? The devil opposes the word. You remember in the parable of the sower? It was the devil who came to immediately take the word that was spoken to steal the good news, to steal the gospel. The devil perverts the way of the Lord. In, in the book of Acts, um, there was a man named Elymas who was opposing Paul's preaching. And Paul got mad at him and he said in Acts 13, 10, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you stop, not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Not stop making crooked. He perverts and twists the straight paths. It's the devil who brings the confusion. Jesus brings us clarity. Jesus brings us light. Where there's light, you can see what's going on. Where there's light, there's clarity. Where there's darkness, you trip and you don't know what you trip over. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The devil has blinded people's minds. You know, you see with your mind as much as your eyes, right? Same thing with spiritual things. You see with your mind. And he's blinded their minds so that they could not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So number one, I take when it says, give no opportunity to the devil. Number one, there is a devil, and he's doing all these terrible things out there. Number two, you can live your life in such a way that you can either give him a place or you can shut him out. Because he's telling us, give no opportunity to the devil. Wouldn't it be great to be a church where the devil absolutely had no foothold, no fingerhold, no chink in our armor where he could get in? Could you imagine a whole church living like that? What about just our families? Could you imagine having a family where, where we all are just resisting the devil and protecting the family? And he has no, he's on the outside looking in. So I'd like to go in there and cause a ruckus in that family. I just can't get in. There is no opportunity. Is it possible? If we resist him, will it happen if we don't resist him? Will it happen if we keep putting the food out on the porch for him? <laughs> Make yourself comfortable. <laughs> no, we've got to resist him. The New Testament for everyone says that don't leave any loophole for the devil. <laughs> don't let him get in some technical way. Shut him out. And finally, the, 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 um, well, the Passion Translation of that same verse says, don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. Don't give him an opportunity to manipulate you. Why even give him the chance? What, could we really live this out? Could we really do this? As a church, could we do it? I'd love to see that happen, wouldn't you? I would. It says in the New, Li New Life version, don't let the devil start working in your life. <laughs> don't even let him start, man. Devil, wouldn't it be great to say devil can't work, devil can't work in that church? Can't do it. They've shut him completely out. There is no opportunities for him to work. That's awesome. And then finally, uh, 
Number three. Number one, there is a devil. Two, you can live your life in such a way that you can either give him place or you can shut him out. And number three, the responsibility to resist him is mine. I've been given the responsibility to resist him. Second Corinthians 10 verse 3 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That tells me that right thinking is spiritual and right thinking is powerful. Okay? And this doesn't necessarily mean go get in an argument with your wife because she doesn't see things the way you see. <laughs> or even how, get into apologetics and try to argue with everybody. This is about taking thoughts into your own heart and into your own mind. And he says, we destroy thought arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey God. See, strongholds in your life, they are arguments. They are opinions and they are wrong thinking that you have adapted as your own. That's where they need destroyed in your mind. The devil would like to give us his plan and tell us it's God's plan. And when we start arguing and reasoning or things like that, those become strongholds in our mind. We need to tear those down and see the clarity and the simplicity of what Jesus has for us. Right thinking is powerful. We can resist the devil through right thinking. Like it says here, take captive every thought. Make it obedient to Jesus. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Listen to that. True, honorable, just, pure. I don't know how you do that while you're watching the news today. <laughs> I mean, I'm, we need to watch a little news. I get it. I'm not saying to go just hide your computer or whatever, but I mean, this is not around us naturally in the world. The things going on in the world are untrue. You don't even know what's true and what's not true. There's so much misinformation out there. Honor. Does anybody seek honor today? Just, that means right. Not five out of ten times. Whatever is pure. Where do you look for purity today? Loveliness? What's commendable out there in the world? What's excellent? What's praiseworthy? If we do this right here, if we think about what is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, the scope of things that we're free to think about will very much narrow. We will have to be very intentional with our thoughts. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And then of course, you know Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? What is the opposite of a renewed mind? conformity to the world you have to change your thinking to escape from the pattern of the world 
And then finally, we can resist him with right actions. That verse that I was reading, Ephesians 4.27, don't give the devil a chance. Let me read it to you in context. Ephesians 4.25, so each of you must get rid of your lying. Bible says we're supposed to speak the truth to one another in love, right? Speak truth to your neighbor. We are all parts of one body. Verse 26, Scripture says, When you are angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That means it's all right to get angry, but it's wrong to dwell on it. Settle it quickly before the sun goes down. It's not okay to be mad at somebody for weeks or decades, as the case may be. Huh, you can't carry that stuff. You settle it. You move on. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Verse 27, don't give the devil a chance. If the words don't match this, I, I looked this up in the New International Reader's Version because I like the simplicity of it. I think I put the, the ESV up there. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must never steal again. Instead, they must work. They must do something useful with their own hands. Then they'll have something to give to people in need. <clears throat> Look at that. Work so you have something to give. Hey, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah. Don't let any evil talk come out of your mouths. Say only what will help to build others up and meet their needs. Then what you say will help those who listen. Could you imagine if we only say what will help build others up or meet their needs? Maybe there'd be a lot less talking, wouldn't there? Boy, there'd be a lot less Facebook posts, <laughs> a lot less online. I don't know what's the, whatever they use now to debate on. I don't know. There'd be a lot less words flying around out there. The Bible says where words are many, sin is not absent. But he says, don't let any evil talk come out of your mouths. None. Verse 30, don't make God's Holy Spirit mourn. I think it probably says grieve not the Spirit, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the proof that you belong to God, and the Spirit is the proof that God will set you completely free. Verse 31, get rid of all hard feelings, anger and rage. Stop all fighting and lying. Be kind and tender. Do you see how these things, if we don't stop them, if we continue to do them, how they give the devil an opportunity to work in our life? This is what it means when it says, don't give the devil an opportunity. Be kind and tender to one another, forgiving one another. Because why? Even if somebody did miss it, even if somebody did one of these things, but we forgive. Because why? Okay, maybe that was wrong. Maybe you missed it. Maybe I missed it. But let's just walk in forgiveness and close that door to the devil. Amen? Amen. We can do that. Forgive one another just as God forgave you because of what Christ has done. See, what we need to do to keep the devil from having an opportunity is to build habits into our life that will protect us. We need to establish a habit of holy living. We need to build a habit of consistently sowing God's or planting God's word into our hearts and into our minds. We need to make time in our lives just to sit in the presence of the Lord. That's what after the song this morning, before Tom, before you had that other song, man, it was just sweet. It was just quiet, you know? Just sit in his presence and listen. It's all right. We won't fall asleep. If we do, we'll sleep in the Lord's presence. <laughs> no, but, you know, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a sweet time, and you don't always know what to do. So what do you do? You wait for the Lord. 
And then Tom had a song, Praise the Lord. It was sweet. It was a good time. It's okay. And we need those times. I need those times. You need those times just throughout your day, throughout your life, throughout your week. Make a time just to sit for a few moments. Even if, it, even if you can only scrap together five minutes, it, it, it'll change you to sit in the Lord's presence. We need to learn, like I said, how to, uh, to, to, to be a giver of our, of our resources, of our knowledge, of our whatever we have. We need to invest in other people and invest in work of the kingdom. So what I want to do, if I could get the band to come back forward. Um, Xavier? Yeah, thank you. And uh, what I want to do, years ago, and I think some churches still probably do this, and they had for missions what was called a faith promise. And anybody ever been in a church where they ask you to make a faith promise to pledge for missions? Yeah. Okay. And they say, you know, I don't necessarily have the money right now, but I would like to give X amount of dollars to mission. And so I'm going to make a faith promise that I will give as the Lord enables me. And this is my goal. It's a faith promise, right? Faith promise. Well, I'm going to ask you to make a faith promise today, but I'm not going to ask for money. I'm going to ask you to make a faith promise. And I want you just to take a moment. I'm going to get them to sing this song. And we're just going to, I'm going to ask you just to think for a moment. Is there something that God is speaking to you that you need to, to do or to stop doing? Or a relationship that you need to, 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 to work on or something? Maybe you'll say, I will stop doing such and such as God enables me. See, a faith promise. I'm not asking you to come and say, I'm going to do it for real this time. I'm going to ask you for the faith promise. Yeah, I'm going to start doing that as God enables me. This is what I'd like to see. We won't put the pressure on God, amen? That's all right. He's good with that. He'll help you. I believe he will. I've heard time and time again when people would make those faith promises, oh, I want to give $1,000 this year. And I'll do it as God enables me. And they don't know where $1,000 is going to come from. But when they make the commitment to do it as God enables them, the, the money would just come in. And I'm telling you, if you'll make the commitment to, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's a sin that God's been dealing with you that you need to just end. Or a habit that you've just you know, accepted and not taken seriously. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be restored or improved. Just say, God, I'll, I'll work on that. I'll do that as you enable me. Maybe there's a health issue that you're fighting and you've just kind of made peace with it, but God would say, no, I want you to go get in my word, get those scriptures, and I want you to resist that thing. I don't know what it is. I don't have any, I don't have any insight as to what it might be for you. Maybe it's just making time in your life for him. Maybe you say, God, I'm going to pledge 10 minutes a day for sitting in your presence and for prayer as you enable me. And when you take that step, watch him help you. Amen? Maybe some of you here, and, and, and I wrote this one down to remember it uh, because it's important. Maybe some of you are seeking a relationship with him. Or maybe you're seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Make that, make that promise. Make that faith promise. Say, God, as you enable me, I will do it.